0: So before the service started, Matt and I were, I was sharing with Matt, we weren't talking, I was sharing with Matt that I was a little out of sorts this morning, and he agreed with me. <laughs> that, that's not literally true. I, I said, of course, every Sunday morning uh, before we begin, I'm a, I'm a little bit out of sorts, and he, he agreed with that. He didn't say, no, that's not true. I think it's because of this passage um, that we're going to go through today. I think it's, it's, it's because as I was preparing for it, I realized how important it was. Of course, every sermon is important. Uh, the Word of God is important, what we do on Sunday morning is important. Uh, but as I, I walked around before the service started and, and said hey to some of you all and, and introduced myself to others, uh, I, was, I was struck by the fact that this is not our home. That one day in the future, we're either going to die, or Jesus is going to come back, and we're either going to spend eternity with him, uh, much like we read in Revelation 21. So this is, this is for everybody here, young and old, even, even little girls, little boys. We will spend eternity either in heaven or hell. And I want everybody here to be with Christ. We're resuming our series on Moses, and uh, we've been using Exodus. We will get to Numbers and Deuteronomy some in the coming weeks. But before Easter, we finished with Exodus 19, where we were reminded God had redeemed his people, and he referred to his people as his treasured possession, that His treasured possession was to be a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I, I just thought to summarize that, I, I would say, say it like this. When, when we think about us as God's people, a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, it means we belong to God and we live for God and because of this, we seek to show the world God's glory. We belong to God, we live for God, and we seek to show other people God's glory. That's what I want to do tonight is, I mean, this morning. I told you I was out of sorts. Uh, that's what I want to do this morning. I, I, want, I want us to walk out of here Grabbing hold of a glimpse of the glory of God. And that's kind of abstract. But to glorify God is to show the world all of who he is. That's what it means to glorify God. It's, it's very simple, but unless we understand as much as we possibly can about him, who he is, how he works, in all his glory, I don't think we really will fully comprehend what it is we're called to do. And it's, it's very interesting. That's what Exodus is all about. Exodus is about God revealing himself to his people and to the world so that we will know him because if we know him in his fullness, this God that we have come to worship this morning, if we know him in his fullness in his holiness, in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy, then we will show the world who he is. But with the way that we live, with the way that we think, with the way that we talk. That's what it means to glorify God, simply put. We are to show the world and other people, the, the folks closest to us and the folks that don't know us, we're to, we're to show the world who God is. And our passage this morning, it's part of a bigger passage, I, I would encourage you when you go home this afternoon, maybe with your family or, or by yourself, it's, our passage is just a little part of Exodus 32 through 34, it's a, it's a fascinating part of God's word. It shows us, shows Moses, but shows the world in 32 through 34 who God is in all his glory. How, how this God can be, can be both gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving. But at the same time, how this holy God must judge evil and sin. We'll only read one part of this bigger section that shows us God's glory, but we are going to take some time to look at all of 32 through 34. So this, this part of the passage is printed for you, it's chapter 33, it's printed for you in your bulletins, verses 12 through 23, but I am going to give you some background where we start out in 32 and actually end with a, with a part of the passage here that, that we're not going to read. But Let's read together what's printed for you in your bulletins beginning in verse 12 of chapter 33. Let's, let me read this for us. By, by the way, this is Moses' third of four prayers in the midst of one of the, most, uh, one of the most tragic things that Israel does after their redemption. Serious. So this is his third prayer to God. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring, this, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, Moses says, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, There's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we we seek to see it. A little bit of your glory this morning we seek to come to better understand who you are and what you've done for us but 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 not only what you've done for us what you are doing in the world and I pray this morning through this sermon that you would use it in the lives of your people I pray this morning that if anyone here does not know you would they would they catch a glimpse of your glory? Would you bless us now by your spirit? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So we jumped into the, the, uh, jumped into the middle here in chapter 33 of some, some pretty serious business, some pretty serious activity. What you will know if, if, you, if you read before Exodus 32, you'll learn that Moses is up on a mountain with God and he's receiving instructions from God himself about how to build the tabernacle. It's basically chapters 25 through 31. Instructions uh, about how to build this place where God's going to dwell so he can be near his people. And that tabernacle is basically about how the people would stay connected to a god. God to the one true living God. The people, they not only need Moses, they need to be with God himself. And and the tabernacle, the instructions that Moses is receiving from God, that's the place that would keep them connected to God. And he's up on the mountain, he's receiving instructions, but evidently the people who are down waiting for Moses, waiting for these instructions, evidently God wasn't moving fast enough for them. 32 verse 1, they get impatient, and in their impatience, they call Aaron, who's Moses' brother, and they tell Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And what they do is they make a golden calf to worship, probably something that they had seen within their time in Egypt. So Aaron fashions an idol. It's a false god. They settle down to, to basically have a party. They, they want to feast with this false god. What you see here is the Israelites very quickly breaking the first three commandments. Of course, they, they break the second commandment, which says you're not to make for yourself an idol. It's pretty clear. They weren't supposed to make an idol. They make an idol, but they not only break the second commandment, they break the first commandment as well that says, you shall have no other gods before me. And then actually, because they call this golden calf Yahweh, they're actually breaking the third commandment as well. So it's like strike one, strike two, strike three. Now, I, I could say as a point of application, I could say one of the things that, that, that I, I th- find about myself and, and some people um, as well. When we become impatient, when we become a little bit uncertain about what the future holds, because that's where the Israelites are. They're about to go in the promised land and they're not sure what happened to Moses. When we become impatient, when we become uncertain, those are the times that we're likely to go after false gods. And that would be a, a, a true application of chapter thirty two. But I I already wasted too much time on that because this passage is not about that at all. This passage is about something so much bigger. This passage is about the glory of God and when we come to grips with the glory of God and who he is, we're not going to want to go to idols God here the real God who's meeting with Moses he knows all things and basically while Moses is still up on the mountain this is this is what God says to Moses you're gonna have to go back down you're gonna have to go back down to your people they have corrupted themselves they've turned away from me quickly and the passage in chapter 32 says this God's wrath burns hot it's pretty intense and then he says, I'm going to put an end to your people. And we human beings, we hear this, we say things like, like this. Um, you know, that, that doesn't seem like a loving God. That's what we say. Uh, it's kind of a nice way to say, hey, God, uh, you need to explain yourself here. But I I did tell you from the very beginning, we're going to see God in all his glory. And some of that glory includes his anger at sin and evil and injustice. You know, God being angry with sin, that really is not what needs explaining in this passage. I want you to think about all the things that God has done to show his love for his people just in Exodus so far. He handpicks a man to deliver them, Moses. And through Moses, the Israelites are are delivered. The enemies are defeated. Not only does he defeat their enemies, he's provided food and water. Not only has he provided food and water for his people, he made them rich. That's how they're able to build the calf with all the plunder that they got from the Egyptians. Peter N says, God has been pouring his heart out to his people. God is not lashing out his people here. This is not arbitrary anger. It doesn't really even need to be explained. What needs to be explained is this. Why are people like me, people like you, why are God's people so fickle? Why are we so impatient? The the question that really needs explaining here or answering here is why does God continue to put up with and do so much for his people? And do you want to know why? It's because God is glorious. It's, It's because God is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. You see, Moses in this section Because of the people's sin, in chapters 32 through 34, Moses is praying to God on behalf of his people. And each time he prays, we learn a little bit more about how glorious God is, how glorious the God that we have come to worship this morning In his first prayer, we're going to go through these rather quickly, but I need you to see how Moses is pouring out his heart to God. In chapter 32, verses 11 through 14, Moses basically says this, God, these aren't my people. He says, God, these are your people. These are your treasured possession. He says, God, think about your reputation with the Egyptians if you don't keep loving them in spite of themselves. The world really won't know how great you are. Realize when Moses is pouring out his heart to God, he never does say, hey, the Israelites, they're really not that bad. They are really that bad. He says, remember how you promised, how you swore to save your people. And you know what God says? These are my words, but this is what God says. God basically says to Moses, ah, Moses, you do know who I am. I'm not going to destroy this people. Realize, God's not changing his mind here. He's showing us all that he is, that his, his holy wrath burns against a corrupted, sinful people But his desire is not to destroy them Doesn't mean that God doesn't judge sin Because right after this 3,000 people die A plague is sent And then Moses prays again In the midst of this plague And he says God This is his second prayer In chapter 32 verse 31 Please forgive your people And then Moses says If you won't forgive your people Blot me out of your book Now Now That could mean two things. It could mean Moses is offering to take the people's place. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But at least he's saying, if you don't take your people, I don't want to go either. And it's not because Moses is in trouble here. You realize Moses is in a safe place. He didn't participate in this sin. God had already said to Moses, I'll start all over with you. You'll be the new Abraham. And I think Moses doesn't like that because God won't get all the glory. Moses' biggest concern, it's, 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 it's with the glory of God. He is concerned about the people, but that's not the biggest thing. The biggest thing that Moses cares about is he wants everybody in the world to see how big God's glory is. And at this point, when Moses says, please forgive your people. If you won't forgive your people, please blot me out of your, blot me out of your book. This is the only place where God doesn't give Moses an answer. He just lets it hang there. He does say, whoever has sinned, I will blot out of my book. Because sin has to be judged. And then in chapter 33, God says, all right, Moses, you and all the people, you can go. This is great. He says, you can go into the promised land. You can go into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. God says, I'll even take care of the bad guys so you can have a good life. That's what he says. You know what the Israelites say? They don't want that. The Israelites, they learned that they can have the promised land. They can have a pretty good life. But if God won't go with them, when they hear this, they say, that's a disastrous word. They mourned. They mourned. They could have had the promised land. But if God wasn't going to go with them, they didn't want to go. There's a practical point here as well. Do do we want God or do we want the good life? Why did we come to church this morning? Is it because we we think that God's going to be nice to us and good to us if we we do these things? Or is it because we want to see God's glory? Or is it that that we want to be with God? This is a turning point in the passage where Israel moves from the, the most terrible rebellion that can happen. They've broken the first three commandments and they just got the first three commandments. It hadn't been that long. They have not forgotten them. Israel moves from rebellion to repentance, and and that's where we picked up in chapter 33. This is where Moses continues to pray to God. Verse 12, he says, Lord, bring this people up, but you haven't told me if you are going. Moses wants God's presence. He says, please show me now your ways that I may know you and don't forget your people. And then verse 14, God answers him. He says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. That's what he says. But there's some ambiguity there. Moses is not sure what God is saying. He's basically asking, are you talking about me, God, or are you talking about everybody? Everybody. So Moses keeps praying, if your presence will not go with us, don't bring all of us up, for how will it be known that I've found favor in your sight if you don't bring all of your people up? Moses is concerned about God's glory because as God works on behalf of a stiff-necked people, the world will see who God is in his fullness. And I, I do think we need to realize how much Moses God, loves not only God, but God's people. It is true. God already told him, I'm going to nix all the people. I'm going to start over with you. Moses is in an okay spot here. He gets in trouble before. He gets in trouble afterwards. But right here, he's in a really good spot. And don't forget, these people have been a pain in the neck to Moses. They've been very, they've grumbled all the time. But Moses says this, God, the world will not know all of who you are. And the people won't know all that you can do if you don't bring all of us and you don't go with us. It's because in your going with us, it's what makes us different. Moses is concerned with two things Moses is concerned with God's glory and God's people. He's not worried about himself, he's concerned with God's glory. And God finally responds with enough clarity for Moses in verse 17. He says, this very thing you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. You'd think Moses would stop by then. But he keeps going. You know what he asks for next? Verse 18, please God, show me your glory. You want to know what Moses wants here? He wants something similar to what the Israelites wanted in chapter 32 when they built a golden calf. Oh, he wants to know that God is going with them. He wants a a visible assurance, something that he can hold on to so that he and the people can know more about God because the more they know about God, the better they will be able to show forth God's glory. Moses knows, though, it can't be an idol. It can't be anything other than God himself. So he wants to see God's glory. He wants to understand. He wants to know all he can about who God is. And this is what God says. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, for man shall not see me and live. Because if you get more than this, you won't be able to handle it, Moses, and everybody will die. But I'm going to give you what you need so that the world will see how glorious I am. We didn't read it, but I want you to turn there in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. This is the proclamation of what Moses hears and what Moses sees. Verses, uh, chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, here is God's glory. This This is what Moses has been waiting for. Verse 6, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. These verses are repeated over and over again in the Old Testament. It's the clearest self-proclamation about who God is found in the Old Testament. And it's somewhat confusing, isn't it? How, how can God be both merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, but at the same time, he won't clear the guilty? What we're seeing in Exodus 32 through 34 that's summed up in verses 6 through 7, we're seeing in redemptive history God revealing to his people who he is and how he works. God is revealing his glory. This is about who God is and how much he wants to be with his people. Again, God is not changing his plans here. Moses doesn't change God's mind about what he's doing. God is revealing to his people who he is and how he works, how he can both be forgiving, merciful, and loving, while at the same time judging evil and sin, death, and destruction. He's pointing us already in Exodus to what Jesus Christ does on the cross. That God works through a mediator who wants, to be, who, who wants God to be glorified. That God works through a mediator who is willing to sacrifice anything and everything so that the world will see the glory of God. And we do know this in this church, but it's only Jesus Christ, the one who's both fully man and fully God, only he could do this. Like Moses, he lived for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. He lived for the good of God's people, but it was only in the death of Christ do we begin to grasp the glory of who God is. Because you know what God does on the cross. Paul talks about it in Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the most glorious thing that could ever happen to me and you. Peter, for Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. God judges the guilty in Jesus Christ. The guilt of the sins of the world are judged always and forever for those who believe because Jesus Christ takes our judgment. And as Christ takes our judgment, we see mercy and grace and forgiveness and steadfast love. God pours forth his love in Jesus Christ even as he judges evil and sin in Jesus Christ. I guess I want to say it like this. This has got to be the most glorious thing to us. The glory of God is seen as he takes a sinful and rebellious people to himself and through his only begotten son provides a way to make us us good enough to stand before a holy and righteous God. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to make us feel bad about who we are as a stiff-necked people. I, I, I get up every Sunday morning, and when I think about having to come and preach God's word, I, every Sunday morning I say, Lord, I am, I am unworthy of what you've called me to do. I am unworthy to represent your name. I am unworthy to preach your gospel. I'm not sh- trying to, to share with with you and I and, and beat us down about how stiff-necked we are. I'm trying to show us God's glory as we see him loving people like me so much, even though we are not very lovable. You know, I, I'll let you in. Uh, the pastors, we try to, on uh, Monday mornings, talk about the, the sermon that's coming up on Sunday, and this, this week, we talked about the New Testament lesson, I, I, I just, I need to, sh- to share this with you. I was having a hard time finding a New Testament lesson, and, and Matt pulled this out, and we were talking about it, and, and, and you read it too, verse 8, man, that, that sounds kind of rough, right? And I thought, I thought well, we could, we could end it at verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of the thirsty. I will give from the spring the water a life without payment. I could have, we could have ended that there. And we both, we looked at each other and we basically said, but that's not who God is. Because God is more than that. Because you're not thirsty if you don't realize that at one time you were cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. And if we don't have those sins judged in and through Jesus Christ, we have no hope. The glory of God is he takes a rebellious, stiff-necked people, people like your pastor here, and Jesus Christ dies for our sins, and even as we talked about last week, he's been raised from the dead, which is proof that my sins are gone and your sins are gone. God still is the one who is just and the one who is justifies. This is, this is the glory of the gospel. This is what makes us unique because we're to, we're to go out into the world and not just tell people the, the way the world wants to hear, oh, God is this nice guy that he, that he just wants, he, he wants you to be happy. That's not God. God wants us to be made right so that we can be connected with him so that we can spend eternity in heaven for the the rest of our lives whatever that means but it's more beautiful than we can get our hands around I couldn't have gone home and looked myself in the mirror if we didn't read that last verse of Revelation 21 verse 8 because it wouldn't have been all of God's glory We are all going to be judged either in and by and through Jesus Christ, or we'll be judged on our own merit. And only the merit of Christ brings life. Only the merit of Christ takes away our sin and makes us righteous. So, if you're a believer here this morning, this is our glory. This is what we're called to share with the world. It's not how nice we are, we're not that nice. We try to be nice. And you should try to be nice, but man, when the rubber meets the road, you you see how selfish you are, and the world will see how selfish you are. And in that selfishness, we go out, and because of the glory of God, we can say, yes, I am selfish, but God poured out his love for me, and I am forgiven, and but for Jesus Christ, I would go to hell in my selfishness. That's our glory. When it becomes the basis of who we are as individuals and who we are as a church, God will dwell among us, he will work through us, and God will be glorified. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, for those who may be here and, and maybe they haven't seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so first of all, I know, all, I know many of you have seen the glory of God in Christ Jesus, and, and we have to start centering our lives around that and going out there and sharing with the world. But for those of you who may not, may not have seen, I, I tried the best I could. I'm just an average pastor. You could have got it better somewhere else maybe, but the Lord had you here, so you got what you got. This is the glory of God. My prayer is before this service and after this service, and the prayer of the people that have seen the glory of God is that you will hear this. Jesus Christ says it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And if you're thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life to you, and it is free. I don't know if you're quiet because this is falling on deaf ears, or, or maybe the Lord is hitting you with the fact that God's glory is bigger than we could ever imagine. And the most beautiful thing is that people like me and you have been cleansed of our sin and made righteous In spite of ourselves, simply because God loves his people and he wants to be glorified. So whether you're six years old, whether you're 18 years old, whether you're 30 years old, whether you're 80 years old, we are called to go show the glory of God to other people. And the glory of God has happened to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's go share it with the world. And yeah, they're going to think you're weird. Who cares? as long as God is glorified. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for Moses, the one that stood in the gap between a stiff-necked people and, and you as a holy God. Father, we're thankful more for Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Father, we pray that um, we would see you in all your glory. And Father, as we continue on seeking to share your glory with the world, would you continue to reveal more and more of who you are in your glory? Overwhelm us in your glory. Change us by your glory. And help us to share that glory with a needy world. We ask your blessings now on the rest of our service as we come to the table, as we are reminded of the sacrifice of your Son on our behalf. In Jesus' name, Amen.